This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Ethan Greenbaum. Ethan makes sculptural photographs that often feature images of sidewalk and street markings, construction sites, and window motifs that have been printed onto carved sheets of acrylic. The imagery shifts from being recognizable to more abstract or textural through careful cropping and scale manipulation. And while his pieces present like flat, two-dimensional objects, they are full of sculptural ravines and carvings, and underscore how depth and dimension connect with modes of perception. The work is sharp and illusionistic, and layered with ideas surrounding intersections between states and materials, and underappreciated beauty. We recorded the following conversation at his studio in the Long Island City section of Queens. I was trying to remember my introduction to your work. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, I, I, the first time I saw your stuff was on a screen. I, it was like either, I, I want to say it was an email I got from a gallery announcing one of your shows. And it may have been your first show in New York at Kansas. Okay, yeah. that was. And I remember being immediately excited about the work. And I didn't read the press release. Right? I just looked at the images. And they were presented like paintings on a wall. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at images of your work on a wall and a screen. And I didn't read the fine detail, and I just which sort was of, a poem anyway. Okay, <laughs> like that, most poems, it was ignored. Yeah, yeah, one of those angles of like the press release as poem, yeah, but um, not by me, but by sure. Keith Ferrati. Sure. Um, but I made a note to go see your show. Life happened; I didn't get to see it. Months later, I came across another image of your work. I think on Instagram or something. Another picture of your work mm-hmm. on a screen. And I think then that's when I emailed you, somehow got your contact. And I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm excited about your work. Can I come over for a visit? And I came down to your studio at the time, which, is, which was in the Sunset Park area. Yeah. And I immediately was like, oh, man, these are way different than I thought. Like, there's photography involved. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think? What, what, well, I thought, no, 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 now. sure. I thought that they were more painting based mm-hmm. not photographic based because the ones that were that i remember were more they weren't they were non-objective was like textures like mm-hmm. and like pieces of road material but i couldn't tell if it was just like hyper realistic rendering right and then there was other some like more abstract like close-ups of something that i think you photographed but it got me thinking about like images of things of things and um I remember talking to you study, you were interested in P- Peter Haley as a student. Well, he was, he was faculty. Oh, okay. And then I also, I also yeah. worked for him for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I start, I started thinking about are, are these paintings, are these photographs, are they sculpture because there's a, there's a dimension to your work mm-hmm. and some relief. Um, and I guess sort of like a, like a, um, semi annoying question, but I think it's important is what are these to you? Are these, Paintings? Are they sculpture? Are they photograph? Are they something that doesn't fall into a category? Uh, the the answer I usually give people is sculptural photographs because okay. that lets them sort of choose their own adventure with whatever interpretation they like. Um, I also, you know, in sort of analytically thinking about them, I think there's a lot like they probably align most closely with printmaking mm-hmm. in terms of their methods and means. Sure. You know, I'm using tools that 
um, are in a lineage of commercial printing and, you know, and, and, and I guess when it comes to things like vacuum forming or CNC carving, I think they still use a lot of the logic of printmaking, you yeah. know, which is like relief based, uh, image making. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, maybe this is a good spot to talk about how, like how these come together or maybe, maybe before that, I want, I'm curious how you landed on this way of working. Uh, you studied painting? I studied, yeah. I was uh, at painting at Yale. I mentioned Yale because it's like, I feel like that's, a, at least in my mind, a very yeah. specific model of painting, at least when I was there. Sure. Um, but there's an absence of paint and brush and the sort of painterly gesture in these. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's clearly some, like, painter decisions in terms of composition and color dialogue and how you're how you're orienting compositions and stuff like that. But, you know, using, using photography as a way to capture a mark or crop a mark mm -hmm. and then play with that. Um, how, where, where did that enter your, 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 your journey to get to these? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's like always not, there's like a few different examples I could give, but I, yeah. I feel like one, you know, one clear thing that I can piece together in hindsight is, I was always taking a lot of photos okay. as reference material. Um, and I think I hit this space after sh pretty shortly after grad school uh, where I realized that the, all the archival material I was building was probably more interesting than the, the painting I, I was making. Okay. Um, meaning, I think, that the painting solutions I was coming up with felt overly isolated and maybe even overly dependent on education. Oh, you know, uh, I, was like, okay. I was like, these solutions... Although I look back and I like a lot of what I was making, that's like nostalgia maybe. But sure. Like, uh, were they were they oil paint or acrylic? No, like they brush? were acrylic, I and mean, they were still very much. I could show you some images. They were very much in this world. Where I, I was like carving styrofoam and covering yeah. it in resin and painting it. Yeah. But it was just sort of like a more hermetic language, you know, okay. was like making forms that I was inventing sort of in relation to source material. Mm -hmm. And I think I just had this moment where I was taking a picture. I was like, this picture's pretty good. Or the mm -hmm. picture, I mean, actually, I don't think any of my pictures are like on their own, maybe that interesting. Some every now and then I get lucky. But I was like, this thing, this information, you know, I wasn't even thinking it was a picture, but like the composition yeah. and the texture, like there's something there that uh, I don't need to bury so much. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to maybe foreground. And then that got me on a road of, I think, reverse engineering the problem. Like, okay, I've got this clear source. Right. How do I give it some vitality? Beyond what I traditionally found disappointing in photography, okay. which was its lack of dimension, sure. you know, its kind of uniformity of surface, which ironically is what I find disappointing in a lot of painting sometimes too. Yeah, you okay. know, it's sort of like this uh, overly contained surface. Yeah, or you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, not bodily enough in, sure. its, in its feeling. It sounds like a like a, a gradual arrival to this too, or was it like you're you're making acrylic paintings and taking pictures, and then there was like a a kind of a moment like wait a minute my what i'm looking for is in these pictures was it there was, was it one clear moment okay yeah, there was uh, the, the the result is <laughs> still an arrival i feel like you know i'm still very much experimenting and trying things out i don't feel like i've and i don't know if i ever will but i definitely don't feel like i've been like i've got my medium now, sure you sure know? sure um but but yeah i did have a one clear moment i can remember that's why i'm like that's my moment uh where it was a specific image of a sidewalk unsurprisingly and I thought, wait a minute, like, I think at the time I thought I should just make this a big sticker, which I did. Uh -huh. um, but it was just that. It was like, I need to figure out some way to, like, just use this. This right. is clearly enough. And it felt, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons that's emotionally appealing to me. It felt less willful. You know, it felt more sort of like, you know, this gets into, like, yeah, gets into an emotional slash philosophical stance. It felt like I was, you know, in relationship to the world around me as opposed to sort of sitting at home trying to, like, bang my head against the wall yeah. and develop a, an alphabet that only I could read. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a good spot to maybe think about 
looking and observing and seeing because that's a huge part of your your work I think and uh, like a lot of your looking and observing obviously takes place outside of the studio for your work mm-hmm. um, you know your your construction sites and construction materials are seem to always be catching your eye mm-hmm. things on the street road markings uh, where 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 paint for like crosswalks is peeling up or cracking relative to the cement below it and then also you know spray paint from like DOT workers that are going to like mark up the road for when they're going to rip it up and put, you know, new, new, like sewage or something lines in. Um, I guess, you know, when, when I talk to people that, that have this very purposeful looking and observing and sort of searching and scavenging for things to use in the studio, but most of that scavenging is outside of the studio. I'm curious what you're looking for. Like what's, getting your attention or, or, or can you turn it on and off? I mean, cause it, like I see this stuff w- in the city we live in, in New York, you know, every 10 seconds when I'm outside, like yeah. how do you curate for yourself or what's your criteria for what to take home and what to leave? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's a lot uh, that doesn't make the cut <laughs> as mm-hmm. they say, you know, um, you know, I guess there's a few questions in there. Um, yeah, sorry, I loaded up sometimes. <laughs> uh, I mean, one thing, I going back to the first one, I guess, you know, I, I've, I find myself noticing certain things over and over, right? Yeah. I think one commonality a lot of things I end up working with have is they are, they're, they're somehow contradictory or they're somehow like exposing the, str- the constructed or strange nature of things mm-hmm. to me, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I sort of, uh, one premise I have for making anything is, or one I guess state of mind I try to cultivate is not taking too much for granted, you know, and really yeah. like looking for um, the seams quite literally sometimes yeah. or the points of like uh, mutual purposes that create a scene, you know, so like the, 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 the sidewalk markings of course are a good example where I really got into those is this kind of language that of course has a painting reference, but also a language reference. Mm-hmm. And it's also sort of a Z dimension that's suggested on a flat plane. You know, you make a marking and it's like this codified language that someone knows where to dig and what's sure. going to find what's underneath. Yeah. And I particularly like in this one here, we're looking at that, that, that has DOT markings over a, a pedestrian walkway next to a parking zone that's been repainted three times. So, yeah. you know, I like the idea that like, this is like an X, Y axis, like it's directing bodies and directing infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and has been repainted so many times that like the, the the language even used to delineate a pedestrian lane has changed. It's white and yeah. it's green, and you know, because um, so I just I, I like like that's a moment where, yeah, to some degree, like my painting education kicks in. I'm like that's a nice totally. composition. Yeah, I know? mean, there's a lot of there's composition. There's a lot of layers. The patina that's coming through from all the layers of paint, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, there's a lot of instructions in here on to do things for right. the worker to dig here, for the pedestrian to walk in this direction and to stay in this lane yeah and you know there's there's a lot that grab onto in there yeah and and all of those things point to like some sort of uh, i don't know if artificial is the best word but some sort of constructed delineation right Mm -hmm. and that that interests me you know this is a place where like clearly like there's multiple interests involved in acting on this space and at the same time, like none of this is a plant. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is, these are all l- symbols that have been built up over time and determined yeah. by cultural repetition. And, you know, and so it's like a weird, it's a weird space. You yeah. know? Like it, it sort of contains a lot of contradictory elements or a lot of elements that um, mm-hmm. sort of aren't to be taken for granted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Intersections and interruptions and clashing of things. I mean, another thing I think about with your stuff 
Uh, um, my kid and I call them peekaboo windows, the, the little carved out squares in plywood walls that are, that are keeping in a construction site like or sometimes that. they're a diamond. Yeah. Yeah. But that idea I feel like is maybe a good, good thing to talk about mm-hmm. with your work because it's the, this man-made structure framing a scene that depending on the, where the viewer is, they can adjust that scene. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of connects back to photography in a way and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and looking and observing and painting and painting. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, um, listeners can't see what I'm doing, but it's just like classic. He's making Fi- the peekaboo shape. Yeah. The, the, the filmmaker shape, like going around right. and like looking for that picture. Yeah. Um, you know, Louis, I came across a quote by Luigi Geary, who's a favorite of mine, okay. Italian photographer. And he, he talked about the act of photography as a formal device in its own means, which I thought was interesting, which is essentially that, that's how I interpreted it, among other things, was that it's, you know, simply by putting something in a frame, you've performed a formal operation that sure. is intrinsically weird and interesting. And yeah. Yeah, but, but, but where, where were you going with that in terms of... Oh, I just, I, I, I feel like I see it. Um, it's, it's, it, it's like a theme that pops up. Like, I mean, I mean, that's not like a cutout peekaboo hole as we're sort of defining them, but it's, it's an unplanned it, peekaboo. Hole. Yeah. It's, so. it's a, it's a reveal in a wall that's showing something interesting on the other side mm-hmm. and you've cropped it in such a way. I mean, it feels like a painting yeah. the way you've cropped it. And then, I mean, what, what's not going to come through, through us talking about it is all the, all the dimension in that because it's been 3d printed. Oh, this is actually CNC. Code. Oh, that's CNC. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of texture in there. Yeah. But um, I also see those images coming up in, in your, your social media as like these, these little peekaboo windows. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I wonder if Ethan's going to use that for a, paint, uh, a work down the road or is this going to survive as, as only that? Yeah. Um, and I guess this goes back into like what's your criteria? Like there's so much out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, editing's got to be editing's huge. a huge Edi- like, joy yeah. and headache. Yeah, more mostly a joy, yeah. but yeah, but a headache, you know, just when it comes down to brass tacks, because there's time and money, and you can only make so many mm-hmm. um, in such a period of time. So that's where it gets a little painful. Yeah, you know, the, I'm aware of, you know, one of the pains, <laughs> one of the pains in my life. I'm aware of is like the forking nature nature of decisions. Yeah. Know? So yeah, so there's some some like poignancy to that. You always imagine the work you could have made. Sure. Um, but yeah, but it, it's definitely like you know, and I think this is a probably pretty photographic idea. Although I feel like at this point, it's just what everyone does. We're all photographers to some degree, you know, sure. but so it's not, a, I don't have to explain it. You just take right. a bunch of pictures and like, like I'm going to post that one or I'm right. Gonna, uh, but yeah, that's a huge part of it is just this kind of thinking through accumulation and editing and selection. Yeah. yeah. And so, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, back to what, like which ones make it, it's usually, you know, a mix of the, the formal, you know, like this, this would make a good image at this and this yep. size. And, and if I think it's like, got enough of a metaphor embedded in it mm-hmm. that it, that it will, will operate, you know, is both a, a cool image, but also something where you can kind of turn around right. how it was put together and what's in there and what, how they might relate to each other. Right. You know? Maybe we can talk about how these are made. Yeah. Are you care? Are you comfortable broadcasting that? Is it, are there any trade secrets you want to keep in? <laughs> I don't think there's trade. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more like, I try to keep it like short enough to not let people's eyes glaze over. Right. And also I sometimes, you know, of course, don't want to like I feel like most artists don't want to be like here's my technical not for secret reasons but right. for like boring reasons sure <laughs> like, well here's I, how I make cake I guess to 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 circle back to to what we started talking about is like how I experienced your work thinking that they were painted yeah. or or rendered in some way with with inks or paints or pencils mm-hmm. or something learning that they're Im- photographs or photo based um and then this layer of of 
of carving, whether it's 3D printing or the CNC thing, um, it, I think that's pretty interesting stuff. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Totally so, so if I remember correctly from when I came to your studio a few years ago, you take a picture, you bring it home, or bring it back to the studio. Um, and tucked start, under my arm. Yes, tucked, tucked <laughs> under your arm. But then you, you put on a computer and start playing with it. Mm -hmm. and, and what happens after that? Uh, well... So it depends a little bit on the process, but okay. I mean, the, the computer work I do in terms of the image is pretty perfunctory. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the manipulations you would expect to make an image more vivid. You know, it might be playing with cropping and, sure. and color. Uh, I think what's maybe more interesting in relation to how these look is when it gets into some of the dimensional choices. So yeah. like with the body of work I have here, and this is, you know, uh, what I've been focusing on lately, uh, they're, they're mostly CNC carvings. And so what I'm doing is uh, playing with the, 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 the info in the photos. I'm, I'm making a height map, which is like a dimensional surface yeah. from the value range in the photo. And so there's a lot of sort of, uh, you know, carving through light. That's how yeah. little, it's sort of like painter of light. Uh, but, but, you know, we're thinking about, okay, well, how is the resolution of this area uh, at this value range going to translate into a, a dimensional form? Sure. You know, and so the typical way a height map works is, Darks sink back, lights raise up, uh -huh. you know, but, but within that, you know, anyone who's played on Photoshop knows you can have levels of transition, you know, is it a grainy texture? Is it a flat area? Does it have yeah. a hard edge? Does it have a soft, you know, so, so there's sort of like carving questions as well as totally. painting questions. Yeah. I was just thinking like paint, like I'm trying to remember like formal, like introductory level oil painting class. Mm -hmm. Are we, aren't we taught to go dark to light? What, like, oh, or yeah, is it like light you, to dark when you're building <laughs> depends on your teacher right yeah, yeah right. like like building the up. yeah like the pre-modern approach is you yeah. do like a chiaroscuro or you yeah, do like, yeah. yeah and then you or a, like a grisaille rather sure and it's like the analog version of yeah of, of, of the values that you're um sort of isolating and pushing back or pulling forward mm -hmm. yeah um, i mean there's definitely i mean i totally own my uh painting education yeah. you know as as a sort of uh an, an, i guess reinforcement for intuition you mm -hmm. know so yeah it's, it's things like hard and soft edges and yeah. level of depth and then you know the other thing i like a lot with the cnc carving is you get to introduce ma specific materials in you know mm -hmm. which i take more advantage of in some cases than others but like i've got this piece here that's a photo of a windshield against the wall and it's carved out of a solid piece of clear plexiglass and so the plexiglass you know literalizes the windshield in one spot and then becomes you know a surrogate for right. the wall in another so i like that quality of the carving a lot too and then you can you know, theoretically introduce like a much bigger range of materials so that the, um, yeah, like what's being shown can also be itself in places. Sure. You know, um, and then, so, so, yeah. so then after the, you know, so, so I'm, I'm making a dimensional model essentially. And that involves also choosing like the, the tools, which is another carving, you know, do I have a big thick tool or a sharp little razor sure. one, you know, and, um, but then they're, they're carved typically and, I'll real quick is it photoshop or illustrator that you're building the files in the height maps in photoshop okay you know some sure. doing kind of manipulations and yeah. photographic range and then i'm using rhino okay uh, to make the models right and uh and then they're carved by lately by michael delucia who we probably both know so yeah well a, i know of him yeah yeah run, runs a great uh cnc yeah. shop among being uh, in, in addition to being a great artist mm -hmm. um so he's he's you know we've had a real dialogue around these that's been helpful but um yeah, they're carved, and then I'll often paint them in advance of the printer or after the fact. So, for instance, I, uh, you know, if I, w I know I want certain areas to really be opaque or to really be high saturation, I might, um, you know, pre-paint the carving. 
Okay. Um, like if you know, so that the, the paint is strong white underneath right. certain areas, so it really has a ground where the ink can sit on top of it and and really right. versus I can leave other areas raw if I want the ink to kind of absorb into the surface. Right. So yeah, painting ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah, then they're and then they're printed using a flatbed printer. Okay. So the the thing is carved first, then printed. Typically, yeah. Typically, and that's then you, and you're going in and out by hand at certain mm-hmm. points to clean up and touch up. Yep. Uh huh. And that's not a rule, you know. I've sure. I, I've done somewhere. I think I've done somewhere I've carved or printed first then carved. I want to do more of that actually. Yeah. These things are always sort of in, in play. But what about rules? Do you have rules? It's like a, a democracy of the self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Warring factions. Yeah. Uh, there's like, no, I wouldn't say rules. I would say there's like revision, constant revision of sure. like what's possible. Sure. Largely based on like stuff like that. Like, yeah. oh, why, why is that? Sequ- that's the, that's where like there's the warring factions. Like, why is that sequence a given? Right. Um, and usually they often get expanded when things go wrong. You know, like you, because I feel they like. They get bigger. What's that? They get bigger when what things are getting the wrong. Rule, yeah. When okay. things go wrong, you know, yeah, I think in the big picture, that's the benefit of things going wrong is. Sure. Um, if you stick with them, usually you devise some solution, you know, that yeah. even if it doesn't save that one case, it gives you new parameters. So yeah, like, so for instance, a lot of the painting has come about because the print job was not so great, Sure. you know, or, uh, I needed to sand something down and I was mm-hmm. like, I could reprint it or I could just paint it. Yeah. And, I can know. identify with that. Usually when something's bothering me, I add on to it. It starts growing. I mm-hmm. guess that's why I was asking. It just gets bigger, you know, this and it, you know finds itself through growth or something like that physical physical growth yeah um speaking of scale since you're working you're taking a picture which is one size mm-hmm. you're building these things on the computer or figuring out the 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 the, the dimensionality of it w- what is helping you decide on how big to actually realize these physical things well you, I, I put as a, as a visual illustration i have these <laughs> terrible printouts on the floor okay i mean one thing i've done that's helpful is i print them out at different sizes i need to get a bigger printer ah, yeah, tiling yeah, them yeah. together but i you know, like each one of these, I printed out like three or four versions to decide on the size, you know, so it's intuitive, but it's also relates to the image, right? Like, do mm-hmm. I want this? You know, that's one of, I think, like the built in surrealism of photography I like a lot is, is scale, mm-hmm. you know, that suddenly like this piece behind you is like, it's a picture of a door, right? But like your body could fit through that door, but it's way too small, you know, like it, like this one right behind you. So like yeah. uh, the scale is just a little too small. It's like a big artwork mm-hmm. of an even larger subject. So it's too small to be real. And I think there's something about that that's a little like fun housey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's usually, it's usually a combination of just like composition and scale, but also you have that, I think that extra ingredient of like recognizability. Right. So if you have a door handle, you know what size it's supposed sure. to be. You know, and right. I, I suddenly played around with, with 3D printing too. Is right. like you have a, a recognizable light socket you know what can you do to then Mm -hmm. shift that and so i think yeah that's some ingredient no it's it's good because like these are larger than life this is the one i'm pointing at is is like a is like some some road like a road yellow hash mark on a road that's been you know peeled up and folded off because i don't know what that paint or it's almost like a giant sticker they almost paint on now but it's been it's like folded up and flattened and makes this sort of geometric shape um, but if that were actual size, I don't think it'd be as successful. Right. So it, would be, it, would, it wouldn't feel as significant. So abstracting a little bit feels smart to me. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's this intent to like recapture some of my own initial excitement on, yeah. you know, on terms that I hope are uh, re- relatable. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like scale is one of those too. It's like, if sure. I make this thing big and crazy, like maybe someone will get as excited about it as I was. Yeah. We were talking earlier about, um, interruptions and 
intersections with some of the marks and sh and images in your work. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're pointing to this one right here, which is like a it's like a window with a door cut into it. And, and I feel like windows and doors or the shape of a window or a door or mm -hmm. something that I associate with your work, particularly with the earlier stuff that I know of yours that, that, w that was less representational. Mm -hmm. It was like the frame of a door with the spray mark, street markings, mm -hmm. or even a, a window form. And, you know, you've got, um, you know, overt images of car windows and, 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 things that allow that divide space allow us to see through space or cut us off from space yeah. um, what's the attraction to, to doorways and windows and and representing those in some capacity you just said some of it yeah <laughs> no I mean it's true though I think um, well in, I think in general I you know I, I, I like to think of a lot of these subjects as kind of finding um, models outside the world for inner states of thinking yeah. you know and i think like 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 you know dead ends that actually are not dead ends or or <laughs> openings that are actually dead ends or or like kind of elliptical returns to where you thought you had started you know mm -hmm. or like a sign that doesn't read um so i think in general that's the, those you know those are enduring metaphors for a reason right yeah. for both in you know as the old like I mean, that's certainly a question from grad school. I remember is you're painting a door or a window. Right. Um, Into the psyche. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets so cheesy so fast, but like that doesn't mean there's not something good there. No, no. I, I mean, I, I sometimes subscribe to this like painting as portal of yeah. some sort into some other place. Well, I saw I saw uh, the Magritte retrospective at the Pompidou recently, mm -hmm. and it sort of reaffirmed uh, my sense that like you can have you can be like cheesy and profound at the same time. Yeah, which I think he's he's a real master of. Yeah, there's a reason like college kids put him on their their dorm room, and also like serious curators look at it. Yeah, um, yeah, he's got he's sort of he can spread out like that. Yeah, and I wondered. I feel like this notion of of what's cheesy or sappy or um, cornball is sort of dissipating. Like I feel like there's more, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm 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 too optimistic sometimes. <laughs> but I feel like um, there's more license to like go to those spaces a bit more in mm -hmm. contemporary art. I don't know. Do you do you feel the same way? Probably. I mean, yeah. I think that probably uh, just wait. It'll change again in a minute. Sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I think I think uh, w what I relate to when you say that is like a lot of the figurative work that's out there. You know, sure. we're having. You know, the, the, the cynic in me is like, we're having the predictable turn after a lot of abstraction to mm -hmm. figuration. But, but yeah, I think probably the why is maybe the more interesting question. But yeah. I, I do see, yeah, you do see more, um, you know, thinking to name an artist I like, like Emily Mae Smith, who's also a friend. Like, she's someone who cl clearly plays with, like, cliches, I think. Sure. She, I think she would agree, you know. But it deploys them in ways that feel emotive or feel, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that that's a good, ex that's the best, one of the better versions of that kind of trend, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I personally have always liked the idea of good pop, you mm -hmm. know? I think that's a really appealing notion to me, which is ironic because I don't think I, you know, I, I'm not really like aiming for the right targets of good pop, but yeah. but that if, but that idea of, you know, using rec the recognizable and trying to imbue it with something yeah. more psychological or emotional sure. has always been a nice one. Um, when you're back here and you're working on these, um, you know, you're doing computer work, uh, or touch-up work, or spray booth work, maybe not in the spray, but I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned when we were preparing for me to come over, as we were going back and forth on some stuff to bring up, you mentioned audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Are audiobooks something that sort of fill psychological space while you're working, or is that like for, for like walking around time, or I know you commute to New Jersey to, for, for your teaching gig, I mean, 
I guess this is my long-winded way of asking, like, what sorts of thoughts and ideas are, are swirling around while you're working on this stuff? It, it depends on what I'm doing. You know, yeah. I think, like, the, the stages are definitely fairly discreet, mm-hmm. which I also like. You know, I think that, for me, that's sort of a benefit. It's not this, like, um, you know, it provides a chance to see things fresh. So, like, yeah. Certain things are really mechanical and often when I'm like working, it's just like uh, focusing on very present tense questions, Mm -hmm. you know, like scaling surface. Right. And then when I'm sort of like in between activities is when like the dreaming and the thinking happens, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's, I guess, the broader answer is it depends on the activity. But I, I definitely. Yeah, I listen to a lot of audiobooks when I'm doing something perfunctory. Which right. Big chunks of this are, you know, it's just about like spraying a surface right. and getting it right. And it's like a left brain, right brain thing. Right, you know, right. You distract your analytical mind and you just get into your body to like, uh, and the bo- and your body usually, that those kind of things are usually most accurately judged in the body too. Like right. your body and your eye knows if that finish looks right or if the scale feels right, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that the more analytical thinking I do happens when I'm walking around taking pictures. I do, you know, I have a little journaling app I use. Okay. You know, I write down ideas. And, you know, and so sort of like, yeah, that, that, that's a stage where more abstract thought happens. Sure. Yeah. Um, what audiobooks are you listening to? Do you, uh, do you mind uh, hyping no, up whatever you're listening to? No, let me see. I mean, I've got, I, I go through a lot of them. I mean, right now I just, I just started listening to uh, Martin Amos's Money, which is a early 80s book. He's a British author. Fiction? Yep. Okay. Um, which is great so far. I just started it, but it's sort of a, 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 a you know lauded book that I was recommended. Sure. Um, so I do I do a bunch. I mean, I also have Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own, which like I never actually read. You know, yeah. so like I'm listening to that. Um, I'm also listening to let's let's pull up my Audible account. I don't mean to advertise. No, for no, no. Let me pull up my generic audiobook yeah. app. Uh, uh, I'm also listening to some writings of Seneca. Um, I just went through a Fitzgerald run. I listened to like a bunch of his great and terrible books. Yeah. They really off. <laughs> Even the same book goes back and forth from great and terrible. Sure. But I was on a little tear there. So sort of all the above. I done. I do a lot of memoirs actually. Like I just did uh, the mayor of McDougal Street, which is Dave Von Ronk's memoir. Hmm. Um, and I've done a lot of memoirs because I yeah. find that that form works well for audiobooks. Sure. And is is it is the audiobook an efficiency thing because you don't have time to sit down and read like a paper a printed book or is it something else i guess i'm curious because i'm like i go back and forth between wanting the to hold the thing and sit and be still with like the the way i learned to read yeah um to you know more contemporary living and on the run and how can i fill this gap where i'm doing something with information as well so i mean what is it for you both. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really do believe that uh, there's a different experience when you read an object and that there's no romanticism in that. Sure. That's just through trial and error. Sure. You know, I like, for instance, I very rarely listen to audiobooks that are like naughty. Conce- like, I don't listen to Foucault on audiobook. You know, I, I do. I read him when I can mm-hmm. for real, you know, and I read like longer, more, na- you know, naughty ideas via reading. Okay. Um, I, I, that's why I think, yeah, I've, I'm sort of like learning what works in audiobooks. Is it, it almost sounds like it's like if it's more entertainment based or... Or more narrative. More narrative, it's yeah. audio. Yeah. If it's more philosophical, it's got to be print. Usually. Yeah. yeah, usually. I mean, that's, and the reason for that, this is the pragmatics is like when I'm reading something like that, I need to like draw in the book. Like I always make little illustrations. Like in the margins? Or yeah. Something? I, oh, I, write, cool. I, I My books are ruined. Like I, <laughs> I write in them, I draw in them, like I make little drawings to explain the concept to myself. They're not ruined, they're better now to me <laughs> the resale value yeah, is right. questionable yeah. um but yeah so i think i think like 
it's almost like a physical question. It's almost like it sounds like the work, right? If I need yeah. to be touching the thing, which mm-hmm. I do need to be for trickier ideas, yeah. then I read it. Yeah. And I and I do, you know, probably like most people, I do aspire to be a reader and I but I have to like plan for it. You know, sure. I like carve out certain times a day to read. Sure. Yeah. yeah, likewise. I mean I I my my reading spots are funny. It's like sitting in the car waiting for parking to switch or there's a kid in the sl- uh, asleep in the back. That sounds safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, sleeping kids in the back. That's Wait, a you great mean you, re- you literally read while you're in the car? Like you have a book well, on the dashboard? I have like four books in the glove box or under the seat mm-hmm. and that I, depending on what I need in that moment. You mean alternate side parking this way? Yeah. I see. Yeah, I yeah. you meant waiting at a light. No, 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 no. Alternate side parking gotcha. or the sleeping kid yeah, yeah, yeah. nap time. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of my reading zone. Um, I know you, you, you're from Florida. Mostly. I grew Mostly. up there. I, grew, I was born in New Jersey, but I okay. was in Florida between the ages of six and 22. I think. And was it a rural part of Florida? It was. Yeah. yeah. What, how did you get into, or what was your entry into art in, in rural Florida? Uh, well, my parents are both artists is oh, okay. the obvious thing, but they're, they're in the craft world more, you know, okay. um, which has, has, and I think become increasingly relevant, you know, cause we went to all these art fairs, mm-hmm. which are pretty close in form to the contemporary art fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, a craft fair versus, yeah. uh, freeze or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they look very similar, you know, mm-hmm. the difference is, is that usually in the craft fairs, you're representing yourself as opposed to the galleries model. Right. Um, so yeah, that was the first, uh, that, that's what made it seem like a thing people did was mm-hmm. to make things, which is huge, you know? Yeah. There was no like rebellion to be an artist for me. What type know? of things did your parents make? Um, ceramics. My father, I mean, he still makes ceramics. Okay. Um, he's like semi-retired, but he, he's too busy in his uh, energy to really retire from sure. anything. Um, and my mother sort of jumped around a little more, but she did a lot of painting, which she still does too. Great. And ceramics as well. Right. Um, yeah. So that was definitely like. I almost don't even consider it a first exposure because it was so given from the start. That was like a normalization, maybe. Sure. You know? Sure. Uh, what part of Florida? What what town? Or is uh, this like, like mid-central area? Gainesville. Like outside of Gainesville. Gainesville is the big city. Where, like my Florida geography? High Springs, Alachua. Is this like Panhandle, middle? Middle. Tip? Okay. Yeah. Um, middle north. Middle north. Which is like the worst part. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm always excited to talk to someone that's from like some non-art hub place because mm-hmm. that's my experience as well and you're like, upstate new york right i i'm i'm small town new hampshire okay so even further north yeah, yeah. but uh um i'm always curious on the journey that like people like us from these small places where we didn't have access to museums mm-hmm. or galleries or if we're lucky we had family or friends that would take us to these places maybe you know a few hours drives away or something like that um yeah, like how that interest uh, unfolded mm-hmm. and grew and changed. And, you know, your, your parents were craftspeople making things and taking you to f- fairs. And, and you sort of saw that connection between making and commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, My dad has this funny story. Yeah. I was a little kid that I, like, ma- I made a little booth when I was, like, six with little, like, clay blobs or whatever <laughs> but he's like you were so savvy you would put like two out and they'd sell and you put two more out oh, there you go <laughs> I, I i was better then than i am now <laughs> um but you kept it going yeah. and then like you you somewhere or something along the way uh asked you to keep keep chasing this and keep pursuing it and and you went to undergrad in florida as well correct i did i went to florida state and you studied art there yep um and were you were you interested in painting or what, what type of artist were you then uh 
well, I was probably like the sum of my influences. You know, I was, I, aside from art, craft parents, I looked at a lot of comic books and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and I think through that, like, thought I understood a little bit about pop art. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looked at art, ma- you know, it's a parochial education. Like, I was looking at art magazines and, like, you know, it's like dated technology. You know, I was getting, getting news, pe- very piecemeal, you know. Yeah. So I think it was like a mix of all the above. I mean, I was very much working mostly flat, but I was multimedia then too, you know, mm-hmm. and I did installations, but they were very like, um, you know, I mean, they're very embarrassing to me now. <laughs> I, I mean, which I say with a certain affection, but like, the, you know, the work I was making was very autobiographical mm-hmm. and very pop inflected, you know, so it was like cartooning and my life via lots of different media, whatever you get my hands on. Man, that's, that's like, like, I feel like what so many people, me being one of them too, like yeah. comics, cartooning, mm-hmm illustration um i mean that was the gateway in because that's what i had access to um so it makes sense to me yeah no i mean this is i you know i'm 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 careful not to be embarrassed by it too like i'm thinking about this now like am i embarrassed about some of that stuff maybe if like i brought some of it out that's what i mean it'd be be hard for me to show people but man i don't think i could have gotten to where i am or like arrived at the ideas or the way of working without going through that yeah that you know obstacle course first yeah um, yeah, and I think, you yeah. know, g- even going back to the idea of, like, an aspiration to make good pop, as I was describing it, yeah. it probably comes partly from that, you know? Sure. Yeah, so, no, I have, I ha- you know, I'm getting old enough now that I have a little sweet spot for, like, my, my uh, younger self, but sure. I still would have a hard time putting that work out in the yeah. world, you know? And you have a twin brother. Not a twin, although oh. people might mistake it. I thought uh, he was a twin, because I feel like I saw a picture of you guys, and it's like an uncanny likeness he's he's like uh me with like 10 pounds of more more muscle and tattoos (laughs) (laughs) is he older or younger younger okay yeah um more like a year and a half apart sure sure okay almost twins yeah um i was gonna go like this whole world of twin twin questions i should just let you say yeah (laughs) yeah yeah anyways um and then from florida state florida state florida state you made the decision to go to Yale. Well, I was led into Yale. Oh, you're led into <laughs> Well, I mean, Yale. you know, I, I applied and they let me in. I feel like sure. the decision was not profound. Sure. And, you know, you know, when I first walked through the door, we we're sort of catching up. We, had, we haven't seen each other in a little while. And somehow we, we got on to graduate school and, mm-hmm. and we talked about how I don't have an MFA. I never went to graduate school. Um, and you did. And, and we were talking about this narrative that, that I, I feel like I started to hear 10, 15 years ago, like if you got a degree from one of three or four schools, it was almost a meal ticket into, sure. you know, you know, fame and fortune in the contemporary art world. And you immediately said, no, that's not the case. <laughs> well, it has I, I, so I've always sort of thought of Yale as one of those places. Right. Yeah. And maybe there was a time when that there was an infrastructure that was unchallenged that allowed that to happen. But am I, I mean, wrong in thinking I, that? I, I, sa- I said that because of what I've seen. Sure. You know, and my own experience. Like, I believed that was possible. And I think, you know, look, it certainly is in sure. some cases, right? Sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, like, it, you know, that was more than anything, especially with the benefit of hindsight. That was a, that was a mark. That was a story that made, pre- you know, so that's like a good, that's a perfect story for like a first year graduate from a journalism school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the MBA is the new, yeah. uh, MFA is the new MBA. You yeah. know, and that's what it was. It was right. like a way to kind of like, uh, gin things up, you yeah. know, um, and, and in the short term, it probably was true for a lot of people, meaning you, you got a year right. where you get put in a lot of group shows and like, sure. it, it feel like you were important for having gone to the school. But as anyone who's done art for more than a few years knows, like that stuff is very fleeting. Sure. You know? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I bring it up cause I like poking holes in that narrative yeah. and picking apart and 
kind of bringing some some or, or like pulling the cloak back a little yeah. bit to, to see i wish it was less true i suspect it's still more true than it should be meaning that it's branding and mm-hmm. you know the brand still you know uh david uh david riminelli was was a visiting critic at yale and, and i got told this secondhand but my friends are really good mimics so i think it's true he's like first day class david riminelli walks in he's talking and he's like no matter what happens, I always know I went to Yale, and to somebody somewhere that really means something. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it was being, I think, you know, humorous, but yeah. but, but it speaks a certain kernel of truth, you know. For sure. And and yeah, it's kind of a bummer that, but that's that's a bigger world problem. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Um, you know, while we're talking about education and, and school, you know, I was, you know, glossing over some of the interviews you've done in the past. Um, and one of the things that you, I thought was really nice that you brought up was education is a form of legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, I think I just meant that, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking, did I use the word legacy right? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I did. But what I meant by that was just that it, you know, it, it will uh, haunt you, you know, and, and haunt not as a negative, but just it will, you know, whether you reacted against it or you bought in. Um, the time spent during vulnerable years, mm-hmm. you know, which it is for everybody at an institution will like, will stick with you at some capacity. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was giving, I said that in context of like an interview with my undergrad, they asked me to like say something to the future undergrads. Yeah. Um, but that's been my experience, you know, it's just that, uh, you know, I think it's like, it's hard not to think of it much differently from a f- familial relationship, yeah. you know, that like you want to ultimately, I think like absorb it without having a reactionary stance to it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I appreciated reading that line, and I, and, and, and I think I, I think I like it as this sort of acknowledgement that our history is huge, and yeah. education, wherever you are and whatever you're studying at any given time, is is going to be part of that history, and it's going to feed into uh, whatever it is we're working on. Yeah, and depending on the stories you like to tell yourself about your life, that can be a hard truth, as yeah. it kind of was for me, because I think for a long time. I like to feel as though I could start over any moment, you know, Mm -hmm. which is just total fantasy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's an appealing fantasy for some people. Right. Probably a horrifying one for others. But I liked that for a long time. And I think I finally recognized like, like you, it's actually a bad idea to, to, to nurture that too strongly because you need to like own your own history to, to do anything with it. Right. Um, I think it may have been in the same little blurb, little interview, but you also talked about, um, uh, uh, a project that you sort of started a lot. I don't know if you're in school or maybe it was right when you graduated called um, the highlights project as another, um, you know, s- uh, important part of your education. Um, not a, not a like institution place yeah. for education, but this project that you started, what's the highlights project? Well, it is now an on sort of uh it's 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 like in a permanent coma, but yeah. uh, but it exists online, which I think is important. It, it, so it was something I started with two friends, uh, Skylar Brickley, who was also at Yale at the same time, mm-hmm. and Luke Stetner, who had recently graduated from SVA. Um, and yeah, it was just uh, you know it w- what it was was a uh, it, it mutated a few times, but it was essentially artist text based projects online. Yeah, and it was great. You know, it was it was probably not dissimilar from what you're getting out of your podcast. You know, like it was a way to connect with people that was not purely self-serving and was about collaboration and mm-hmm. projects. And yeah, that was a great like follow-up to school, especially 
during a time when like I didn't feel like I knew how to do anything else, you know, right. not that sounds negative, you know, but I didn't, what I mean explicitly is I didn't have a gallery, you right. know, I didn't have a lot of projects on the horizon. Right. And so it was a way to be active and connect. Right. And I'm, I'm really proud of it as a thing because there's all these, you know, artists I knew that I interviewed, some already established, many not who have gone on to be really great, interesting artists. So it's sure. just, and a lot of them have like used things they did in the highlights in their catalogs and, you know, so right. it's this ongoing archive. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to find and point out like these little um, uh, supportive side projects artists have going on to do just that. They mm -hmm. supplement what you're working on in your studio in some capacity or distract you from it. <laughs> exactly. Um, which is arguably very healthy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like we got to get out of here and we got to focus our energy on something else. Or this thing is an incubator of ideas that you bring back into the studio. Yeah, um, yeah it's indirect, which is part of the charm too. Yeah. You know, that it doesn't have a clear... Uh, utility yeah and that's part of its power I think yeah here's the tricky question is you know with 2020 hindsight you know you you have a, an MFA which which is great but if you could do it all over again knowing what you know now would you is, or you know maybe it's just asking is is an MFA still uh, something that that artists that want to get to a certain place in their quote-unquote career should they chase that degree or is are there other avenues now like what's the relevancy of a of an mfa these days yeah i mean i i have no real data my suspicion <laughs> yeah. my suspicion is it's an economic question largely right. you know and a resource more broadly you know like do you have a play you know basically like can you afford it is the first question right. if you can't afford it you probably shouldn't do it i don't think right um but also like you know in my situation we were talking i was coming from a small town so in addition to the you know education it was just like a, a, a what's the word you know a indoctrination <laughs> right. you know it was like a familiarizing with the with the prevailing codes yeah. of the world I was trying to like fake my way into you know? right um, so yeah I think you know and and luckily um, they give I'm assuming they still do but Yale gives really generous scholarships unlike say Columbia yeah last I checked at least right um, so it wasn't that crazy like I, my debt is you know while not ideal is not crazy right um, right so I don't regret doing it. For that reason right like it was good and it didn't break me right <laughs> um but i think if it would it's pretty debatable yeah i mean i agree with you i think the flaw and it's a big flaw with 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 graduate degrees is is the cost of it yeah. and what that does to the individual that's paying for that degree totally. and how that interferes with the work outside of this or after school mm -hmm. um and how that can crush you uh, yeah. and i think that's ultimately one of the things i think needs to be addressed and maybe it will i don't know uh is the cost of some of these schools mm -hmm. um, and when i was there they were organizing uh debt relief for mfas there was there was and yeah. i participated but even then i knew it wasn't gonna work yeah. because they it, what we were told again and again is they just wait for the class to graduate right. you know and it starts over again right and fundamentally i believe in as much education as possible i'm not one of these people that's like you can't like you hear this term like oh they're overeducated or something I, right. I think that's such a farce yeah um, and, and offensive, um, because it sort of suggests that like you're learning too much. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm one of these people that believes in learning outside of the classroom just as much as inside the classroom. So like, fuck off for saying that. Right. <laughs> well, what, what at its worst, that's like a real politic, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, there's no utility for your learning. Yeah. So why would you bother? Which yeah. is, which expresses a pretty, you know, uh, sad worldview. Yeah. If, if, if sadly realistic too, you know, sure. but, but it's, it basically says like, if you can't turn this into money, why would yeah. you bother? And that's such a capitalist thing. Well, it's just, yeah, it, 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 and it's like, uh, um, 
it's antithetical to being an artist. <laughs> like if that's, if yeah. that's, if that's the question to the forefront yeah. of your mind. Yeah. How many of our, like if you have an accountant or telling you like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. I think I spoke to another artist where they pointed that out. Like their accountant is always like, stop being an artist. It doesn't make fiscal sense. That's completely true. Yeah. I think even for a lot of really high level artists, you know, who, yeah. do, who do well, it's still like, it rarely, you know, makes yeah. a lot of financial sense. The economics are all over the place. With yeah, it, for sure. Um, I, this is sort of a new, new range of, of, question i'm starting to introduce into this project but i i i i think i like this idea of like the artist by themselves in the studio mm -hmm. and when the, when they're alone with the work and what the work means to them versus what it means to the viewer mm -hmm. um because i some i sometimes think they're they those two are 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 related but mutually exclusive and um you know when you're alone in here with, with your stuff like what is it for you um if you're comfortable sharing that, like now we're getting into this whole, like, how much do I broadcast? How much do I reveal? Like how much mystery do I want to hold on to? Or, you know, what are the, what are the, um, setbacks if I over explain or give too much away? Um, like I don't want to hold the hand too much mm -hmm. for the viewer, but, but what are they for you when you're in here? Is that question as open-ended as you mean it to be, or am I, do I need clarification to get the answer right? Uh, it's as open-ended, uh, okay. really, it's for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they're, they're, when things are going well, and also when there's enough work, I feel like I, the more work, the better for me. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes like a very comforting affirmation that my psychology <laughs> is, is in, a, in a feedback loop with the world. Yeah. You know, that it's not this... Uh, echo chamber, you know, like it feed, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's sort of, you're making a world for yourself that, um, feeds back into your yeah. perceptions. Yeah. I think that's great. Do you, where do you fall on that line on? I mean, I don't know if you, you, you've given artist talks before or lectures or even interviews or even, even this project, like, I mean, I've gotten some feedback from people like stop at like, you know, uh, ask, be more specific, ask more like, straight in questions so that you're clearing up some of the the misconception around being an artist mm -hmm. and there's other people like man you're doing like don't go there like be be like you guys you, you should have boundaries and, and i'm just wondering like how you feel like should it all be out there only part of it um do you find yourself in that space or where do you find yourself in that space like personally like do i want to like or my critique of your podcast <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe this is like like some mild insecurity of my own coming uh -huh. out, but but maybe it's a mirror of that. Um, I don't know. Like, how much do we want to reveal, or what is smart to reveal? What, not, what's smart to hold at, in? I'm not good at gauging that, yeah. honestly. You yeah. Know, I, and I and subsequently, I don't worry about it that much. But um, this, the short answer is, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think I think maybe if anything, I like to express an emotional capacity because I think maybe one of the least less generous takes on my work might be that it's kind of like mechanical or that it, it's a little, you know, or restrained in some way. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in having like an affective impact, you know, where they, yeah. they don't just seem like a set of ideas. Right. Um, so yeah, if, if, assuming I can say it in a way that doesn't embarrass me later, I'm right. happy to like share. <laughs> no, I, and the, the one I was just thinking about like, sometimes and you've probably experienced this experiences too is is like you hear an artist explain some aspect of their work and then you don't like it as much mm -hmm. like oh like you just took something away from me because i had a different idea for that and now i have yours and it's in the way i mean there's this there's this like back and forth that's 
that I feel like we have to navigate. Um, it's, that's yeah. interesting. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I'm like really uh, not indifferent, but I give low uh, priority to artists' own opinion of their work. Huh. You know, I, I like to me like that stuff's all interesting. I'm happy sure. to know it, but like I'm much more interested in my my experience with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think maybe which is maybe why I don't worry too much about what I say either. Right. Um, like I just think that like most artists have massive blind spots, almost mm-hmm. out of necessity. Yeah. Things they don't see about themselves and their own yeah. work. Most people do too, by the way. Uh, so yeah, like I don't care that much what they say. I mean, that sounds, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I think it's, it's one ingredient of many mm-hmm. and it's like fourth on the list. Yeah. You know, that's well said. Um, another thing that, that we were sort of riffing on, um, prior to me coming over here, and I brought it up. I was like, can we talk about class with your work? And you're like, yeah, that's interesting, but be more specific. And I, and the story I told you, and I'll say it again, is that, um, you know, in high school and college, I worked on a construction crew and, um, you know, I would, I would be working in a lot of spaces that had the, 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 the stuff that's in your work. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes would, would wonder, you know, if the people, what the people would think that, that are making these, these, I think I call them municipal marks, like, <laughs> like the DOT guy spray painting yeah. on the ground, um, what they would think if, if an artist is sort of capturing a mark that they made and, and, and bringing it into, um, you know, a, an intellectualized setting, I think I described it as, as like a gallery That's or an optimistic like yeah, right. <laughs> description. Um, but, but like what, you know, the sort of like switch from one place, from one type of person um, making these marks to another, um, like, and, and then you brought up like, well, I've actually had some people like sort of handle my work and that's been a favorable response. Can you tell me one of the stories? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, well, the one thing that I always thought was nice, I remember there was like some guys called in to like repair the air conditioning in the gallery and yeah. they didn't realize that I was the artist and they were like, you know, they were on the way to the air conditioner and they, and they like stopped and like looked at the work and started touching it. And, yeah. and I was like, great, that's a great response. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah. And I've had, you know, uh, purely anecdotally, I've had, um, you know, people in different construction trades contact me be like, oh, I, you know, I make uh, drywall at my factory. Like I love this drywall work you're doing. You yeah, know? yeah. So it probably depends on the psychology of the person and right. the relationship to what they perceive art to be and all that. Right. But I've definitely had positive responses from a lot of people, both architects and people who make construction supplies. And, yeah. You know, um, you know, my father, I, you know, another thing that biographically that I think that relates to this, my father like built most of our houses and you know, there's gotta be something of that in here right. too. You know, this is kind of like watching a space go from nothing to something and sort of, especially seeing that very young, mm-hmm. there's something dynamic and yeah. exciting about that. So, yeah. Man, that's great. And, you know, thinking back to the, the crew I used to work on and even, you know, I don't want to presume too much, but I sometimes think that a lot of these guys that are working for DOT or whatever, you know, contract outfit, they're overworked and underpaid. Yep. And, um, the guys I worked with were, were pretty miserable guys, yeah. angry, you know, uh, were living pretty hard on top of like having a hard job. Um, and I just, you know, here we are artists like, you know, taking some of the stuff that they're working on and, and recontextualizing it. And, and I'm just wondering like how we, how we square that or is there a responsibility to square that or is it removed and we've made it completely new and it's no longer theirs or it's no longer that. And, and I'm just curious where, where you fall into that way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
another quick story is like the, one of the guys I used to work with, I think arrived on this way of working with liquid nails when we would we'd be like putting, um, you know, uh, acrylic uh, four by eight sections of acrylic up in gas station bathrooms, basically making the bathroom waterproof mm -hmm. or piss proof. Yeah. And he had this very amazing way of applying liquid nails and, and a way that he figured out was the best quickest way to get from the top to the bottom. And it looked really good. And it, and so it would stick and stay, yeah. but it looked amazing. Right. And like, <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of like what he did that I've still am trying to figure out right. how to do in my own work. Necessity. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's, there's a lot of crisscrossing and yeah. And yeah so I don't know. I, I've been thinking about that. It's a, it's a really interesting question, you know, or, or set of questions that I'm, you know, hard pressed to answer without resorting to anecdote. Sure. But I, I think about them, you know, I remember once I had a piece posted on Instagram and someone wrote underneath, uh, this is a classic co-opting of blue collar material. You know, so <laughs> someone, and I was like, all right, he went there. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was a little defensive because I was like, wait a minute, I grew up fairly blue collar sure. myself. You know, it, like you're assuming quite a bit about me. Here. Yeah. Um, but I, I got the point, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, I think it's tricky because it, 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 what you just described with that guy doing the bathroom mm -hmm. totally ties into 20th century values of what a painting should be, right? right? Which is this fluid, intuitive move that's un unencumbered by, you know, so, so where do I untangle my appeal to certain things from my education, you know, from, from my personal biography? Like I've spent a lot of time building out drywall things myself, mm -hmm. you know, and that's part of the fascination was to like see a space get defined from nothing, just, you know, like the constructed nature of things. Um, so it's all in there. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I, and I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I guess for, I don't, I don't sort of see myself in my work um, taking overt uh, socio-political stances, right. um, which I, I think someone could want that and that's understandable. And maybe, you know, in time I could mm -hmm. develop more of an answer, but, but I think those are all ingredients uh, I'm conscious of this mix of sure. yeah, metaphor and biography. Right. Plus, I mean, I'll throw it in there. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, that, that is around us and we overlook often is quite beautiful and, sure. and you're noticing that. And I then, mean, that's, that's the primary yeah. motivation, sure. you know? And I mean, I also think one, one quibble I had with that guy's comment and which maybe not what he even meant, but one line, I the would internet draw, troll, the internet troll. Okay. Yeah. Who I, I wisely resisted my first five <laughs> yeah. clever responses right. to it and wrote nothing. Um, but is, you know, it'd be one thing I think if I was, and you see a lot of this art too, like for instance, going to Chinatown and like photographing weird, you know, weird in quotation marks, things that Chinese vendors were doing with their crazy, their crazy letters, I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I, I think my subject matter is largely about states of transition and material transitions, which ties into the people who make it, I, fair enough, mm -hmm. but, but is less about uh, maybe for instance, like explicit plays with class signifiers. Yeah. In my mind, at least, you know, it's much more about sort of materials that, are in some liminal state of becoming. Yeah. And so that's, yeah. That's so. great. Who's your work indebted to? It's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know you said your, your, your dad mm -hmm. and your parents. Sure. I mean, that's, I feel like it always sort of starts in the family or something when we're kids. Yeah. But what about moving forward? Is it, is it people or experiences? Um, and maybe not just your work, but you as a person. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of start blending those two things together, but, but, What's behind what 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 what's on the list of things that are like are responsible for this work? You know, it's funny. I made a list. I actually have it in my in my. I feel like it's like uh, you don't want to neglect anyone. But you know, I mean, I think the obvious answer is parents, of course. Mm -hmm. Some early teachers I had. Um, I you know to, to you know it's maybe more illustrational to pick out certain 
encounters, right? Yeah. As examples. Like I had a, when I was getting ready for grad school, I studied with a professor named Jerry Cutler at UF. And this is when I was in some weird state where I thought I should become a good figurative painter. So I was taking a lot of figure painting classes, but like he introduced me to Cezanne, you know, which is sounds so funny and cute now, but like that was for Florida boy, that was a useful thing, sure. you know, and it was a connection outside of school. Right. Um, you know, Peter Halley, I've talked about certainly was, you know, both a teacher and boss and you know, still we have a relationship and that's been nice mm -hmm. to sort of see that. I mean, I think, um, you know, a lot of contemporaries of mine too. I mean, Michael DeLucia, I feel like, uh, got to give a shout out to, you know, yeah. as, as a peer, someone who's worked with me, a lot of my work influenced my thinking. Um, a lot of my artistic peers. Um, yeah, but different, yeah, it, it, it's hard to untangle. I, I'm not trying to be evasive. It's just no, like no, such no. a long list. You know? No, and it's a, it's a fraught question in a lot yeah. of ways or pretty tropey, but... Uh, I'm I, happy I like to give credit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like I'm all too... Like I very much am like... Uh, yeah, I'm very much see what I'm doing as the intersection of a lot of yeah. people and yeah. resources. Yeah. And so I'm happy to like give credit to wherever it's due. Right. I think travel's helped a lot too. I mean, I think, you know, maybe another way to answer it is the fact that I've lived in a few really distinctive environments in this country and I've also I've traveled a decent amount you know not long travel but mm -hmm. much different parts of the world has been really helpful too just to sort of like cause yeah just to sort of like understand that so much is conditional mm -hmm. you know and that so much of sort of like just literally how things look and how they're made and what you know what they're made of is tied up into this complex world yeah you know? for sure um maybe maybe we can steer into sort of like professional practice well i guess it's not professional practice but like how we're able to do this stuff i know you teach mm -hmm. you teach it in new jersey and you teach in an art department but what sorts of things have you done i guess post-grad school um to help you pay the bills and to like allow yourself to keep a studio practice and you know i think this stuff is really great for other artists to hear because as we all know this place new york city is becoming increasingly difficult and increasingly um, uh, more challenging to to be a, uh, an artist. Um, but I know that you've had a few ways of, of earning earning money. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about those a little bit? Sure. Um, I mean, the one of the best things I've did, which is probably has a bleak future, is renting studios. Um, but, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm on near the end of a 10 year lease on a space. Meaning you take out a big lease on a big take floor, a big subdivide floor. it and rent and you're sort of a landlord. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, that's been super helpful because mm -hmm. it's just liquid money every month. Yeah. It's not much money. It's less than I thought it would be, but it's, it's steady. Sure. Um, I do think the future that looks way more in question. I think that the margins have gotten so tight that unless you can take over like tens of thousands of square feet, right. it's hard to make the money work. Right. Um, and it's just the, the building owners want more per square foot now. They want more per square foot. They want shorter leases typically. Right. Yeah. It only works if you get a long lease. Yeah. It usually right? takes a few years to pay yourself back. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So it's, that's, that's a pressing concern in my mind, but, mm -hmm. but that has been good. So far, so yeah. good. Um, teaching, like you mentioned, sales, of course. You know, mm -hmm. and I've you know a mix of sales and uh, occasional like residencies with grants involved mm -hmm. are useful mm -hmm. for sure. And you, you were uh, a studio assistant. I, I, well. I was early yeah. on. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah uh, the first few years out of school, I worked for Peter, as I mentioned. I worked for Sharon Loudon. I worked for David Reed. Mm -hmm. uh, very briefly for James Hyde. Um, so that was that was good. You yeah, know, good for a while. Um, are these jobs still sort of the go-to? I mean, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like if you're, you know, a senior in a grad program or undergrad somewhere, or you just want to move to s the city and give this 
racket a crack. Um, what, uh, what, I mean, what's, what are the, I mean, when I was, when I first moved to the city, everyone had a day job Mm -hmm. and still a lot of my friends that are uh, like, I would define as incredibly successful artists still have some sort of part-time or full job, full-time job. Um, but you know, a lot of friends would be bartenders or studio assistants or work office jobs. Um, what do you, what, if you were to move to the city, um, now, what 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 would you recommend a young person like this year meaning the current yeah, economic I guess this, this this moment yeah, yeah. uh i mean i my, i feel like what i've done is done the best thing i could think of yeah. you know meaning i i've always thought in terms of and this is maybe more applicable in terms of uh you know maximizing income and lowering time yeah you know that's what's all like any any form of passive income you can generate this is no financial wizardry right, <laughs> is right, the right. way to go you know so that means i guess that could mean I feel like for a lot of artists that could probably mean look trying to negotiate remote working of some kind. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it depends on your skill set, right? But if you have digital skills, like doing something, I know a lot of artists do accounting stuff. Yeah, bookkeeping. Yeah, bookkeeping. Um, any kind of remote working is good because then you can work around your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more white collar, the better is my sense. I mean, it depends on your temperament. Sure. But I, I you know, I, I felt like at a certain point, like I want to avoid doing work that's physically tiring, mm-hmm. you know, both because it's physically tiring and it'll get harder as I get older. Right. And because the ceiling is capped on what you can make in a really right. obvious way, you know, cause you're so replaceable. Right. Um, so I would say like above all else, hone some skill that's higher level. Yeah. You know? And I think that's usually digital is what it means as far as I know. Yeah. But if you have other skills, like milk every <laughs> milk everything you have, you know, family connections too, right? If you have know someone in your family or extended family who works in some industry, like go there first. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I would also add in like lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. I mean, pull it in. I mean, I read this book called Possum Living. Have you ever heard of that book? <laughs> it's by this writer, Molly Freed. I think it was, a, you know, a faux name, but it was all about like how to live with no money, basically. I and, should read that. And, I, and it's like you sort of have to read it like a novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's sort of supposed to be like a, a handbook, but it's more fun if you read it like a novel. And it just really is about like. What are some be- of the tips? Oh man, I mean, it's 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 outdated. It's like I think she wrote it, or he or she wrote it in the '70s, and okay. it was all about like very sort of back to earth stuff, like grow your own food, um, um, like figure out how to skim taxes, and you know, like that's good. You know, I read it a while ago, yeah. but it like, and, and I you know, I feel silly in being able not being able to pull up like a specific example to take away from it but it like set this idea in motion like mm. oh you don't have to do what everyone else is doing yeah. like you you can pull it in like you can still hack this town yeah um i heard michael moore the filmmaker talk about hacking this town recently uh-huh. which i thought was interesting you should say yeah i'd be curious to hear that yeah i no, i mean that's something i i, I should get better at to be honest yeah. i feel like i sometimes um I'm not as good on this on the sort of like right. small saving side. I'm yeah, like, I will get that iced coffee. Right. <laughs> or, or sometimes maybe like as we, I don't know I feel like maybe I was even better as a younger person uh-huh. than you know someone married with kids. Right, like it's really easy just to like throw money at pizza every night. Right. Not, well, that's that's the calculus. Yeah. At a certain point, it might make more sense if it lets you be in the studio earlier and do something. You know, yeah, it's very personal. But yeah, I mean everything has a cost at yeah. a certain point for sure. Um, but I think I, I, I'm with you that it, like. I think it's worthwhile to develop certain habits, right? That just like steer you out of like overspending. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could talk about um, showing your work. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you, uh, you, when I came in, we were looking at these foam core models of a gallery that um, is in Brussels that you're preparing um, 
four, which is an upcoming show in November, I think. Yep. Um, but before we get to that project, um, can you talk about the first time you showed your work after grad school and how that how that opportunity presented itself? Sure. Uh, it was a now closed gallery, which is not uncommon, called Bua Gallery, uh, run by Vanessa Bua, who's still around. I still see her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's doing some art advising. Um, and uh, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I did a group. Sh- it was sort of standard. You know, I did a group show and then was offered a two-person. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't make me famous. Right. <laughs> you know, I, sell- I sold a few things, which was nice, and um, felt like I was getting my foot in the door. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Do you have more? Th- uh, can, I, can I unpack it in some no, more yeah, interesting for way? For sure. Like, I, 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 I'm just curious how um, people start showing their work. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, what, well, how that sort of unfolds and leads into other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that I was uh, like one of the tiptoe towards was um, I wanted to ask you and hope you're comfortable talking about it. It's like you, so you had this show at, at Kansas and you're working with Kansas for a little while and then, and, and then um, you know, life happened and Kansas had to shutter. Mm-hmm. But I noticed pretty seamlessly you found another gallery right away. And um, I, 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 I sort of, I'm always excited when I see that. I was like, Ethan, some, you know, I had some, some plan or was ready for this and 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 can you talk about how you how you went from one gallery to the the next Uh, some people their gallery closes and they're they're adrift at sea and they don't know what to do like how did how did you problem solve around that so two-part question right (laughs) i'm throwing lots of questions (laughs) i'll just try to keep track that's fine i just want to make sure i answer them yeah i'm imagining i know you said you give this to your students i'm trying to think (laughs) what would it be good for me to hear as a student sometimes yeah Yeah. uh so the first one i I think you know it was studio visits in grad school vanessa came to the studios and you know that was definitely you know during a sort of uptick in the art market so a lot of people coming to the art studios when i was in grad school Mm -hmm. uh and then just studio visits and kind of continuing to interact through those to the show which i think is typically how things go I think, you know, if there's like a, a transferable idea, it's that people need some sort of legitimizing platform to see your work. Grad school's good for that too, right? But it could also be another artist recommends you. Some sort of entrees. There's just cold calls, I think, are usually less successful. Yeah. Although they can work. Um, I've never done it, but I know people who have. I think those are frowned upon these days. Yeah. By uh, most galleries I know. Yeah. They, they are so annoyed by people just like showing up. Right. Yeah. Which I, I, I have mixed feelings on. The, again, the blue collar side of me is like, fuck it. If the work's good, you yeah. show up the fucking work. Yeah. You know? but, but yes. But so I think... If, yeah, if you're trying to draw uh, some conclusion, it's like have some sort of entree that legitimizes you as part of a community or, you know, some, someone who's a real artist serious mm-hmm. to be taken seriously and then continued relationship. You know, I think there's a lot of chance involved. Yeah. But I do think it usually happens as a network of relationships. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's there's the relationship aspect, which is I want to say sometimes 80 percent of all of this. Yeah. Maybe even more. Yeah. I think. Well, I think especially when when the market's less secure. Right. Then it's mm-hmm. about like personality fit and like projection of what will do well because it's also speculative like yeah. i think like maybe this will my collectors will like this yeah um yeah so that's probably disheartening news for some people <laughs> for <laughs> you social butterflies keep doing what you're doing yeah um and then the second question i mean the second question is sort of the same answer i guess yeah. you know which is just uh isaac and i have had a relationship for years i've known him he put me in a show when he first went to Derek Eller in like 2011. This is from Lyles and King. Lyles and King, yeah. where I show now in New right. York. Right. And so, yeah, I think I think he was, you know, it was one of those things where as sadly, you know, Kansas was closing, but he was like, let's do this. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. he, he was ready and interested and when, when the moment was appropriate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. If you could correct anything in the art world, would you correct anything? 
it's like would you go back in time you you, you shoot hitler and then like his little, his little <laughs> brother's even worse yeah, uh, yeah i mean it's uh, let me think about that i mean the answer is like of course but then like yeah. what would the repercussions be right i mean i th- i think i would like it one obvious thing to me is i wish there was a much broader market and base of middle class collectors right you know i think that would be great yeah um just because uh, you know a i think it would give a lot more people chances if their prices are high to make multiples right and be like more people be buying art like that would be like that's more of a structural cultural wish right um i wish it was less about biography and relationships and scene you know i find that to be disheartening often Mm -hmm. um what gets attention and why right the work isn't enough yeah i mean i think you know there's plenty of artists who are are good artists and the scene biography is part of their work but what's disheartening is when there's not a real connection and it's clear that like someone's uh, uh, you know a really rich heir mm-hmm. and so they know the right people and they're pl- you know it's an old very old story and it makes sense but yeah. but it's disheartening or someone's just like instagram famous so let's give them a show yeah <laughs> you know? and and again sometimes if like i don't want to shit on it uniformly i think people there are plenty of artists who like use it as a medium and it's intelligently linked into what they do right but when it feels like it's purely operating the logic of publicity and the entertainment industry it's it's a little right a little bit uh morale busting no those are all great points and i I would agree um on all those things um maybe we can get back to the work a little bit um you know one of the things i think about is you know getting frustrated when i'm in studio like things aren't like i have this idea in my head and I'm, i'm i'm struggling with trying to get it out and you know i i i i wrestle this thing into a place where it's it's satisfactory. It's not exceptional, but it's satisfactory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's surviving. I've nudged it. It's going to survive. Yeah. Um, and, and I get it to a place where like, it's comfortable enough, but I feel like it could be better. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the impetus f- to keep going. Is like the next, I, I think I, I can make the next one better. Right. And that's sort of like the trajectory of me working. It's like I'm always trying to improve upon or build upon the mm-hmm. last thing I worked on. What is it for you in here? Um, where, when are you satisfied? Do you look back at your work five years ago and be like, what the hell was I thinking? Or is that stuff like still sit well with you? Um, are you satisfied with that? Or are, are you, is one of the driving forces um, what, what you can make next year potentially uh, yeah. down the road? Again, there's a lot of questions <laughs> in there, <laughs> but uh, um, I guess I just try and compile them all in once and see where you go with right, it. Right, right, yeah. Um, it's case by case. Yeah. You know, I definitely look back on certain work and n- am not proud of it and others I am. And, you know, just, um, you know, I think it's a mix of disappointment and aspiration all the time, though. You yeah. know, I feel like you had a question I remember earlier. I don't know if you can just cut you off from asking if you're like, do you ever fight with your work? Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, like, we don't fight so much as we disappoint each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. We're just sort of like, oh, you let me down. Yeah. You know? And either I let them down by not working hard enough or thinking hard enough or they yeah. disappointed me by pretending they were better than I thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's that, that happens all the time. Yeah. That's just sure. it. Yeah. yeah. This conflict that happens in here between yeah. us and the thing we're working on. Um, but I definitely, yeah, I try and I think usually do think of it uh, as part of like a bigger stream of, you know, and the way I work helps. Like I don't work one at a time on things. I like batch process, you know, okay. so I'll make, because of the nature of working with outside fabrication and help, I'll make like five, six things at a time. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, and so it'll sort of, I think that does, that wasn't part of the plan, but I, I find that that has probably helped um, give perspective on this thing as like part of a, a stream of 
content yeah <laughs> to use an internet metaphor you know like it's not like this one piece is make or break and if i fuck it up then like i'm right i'm i'm you know wasting my time as an artist right um but yeah there's there's always it's always i think a mix i think that you know what i said is about right it's like this potent cocktail of like disappointment and aspiration you know, yeah like, i could do it better and this sucks and do they keep you up at night is it that intense for you? Or are you able to separate yourself a little bit from it? Yeah, I usually can separate myself. I mean, uh, yeah, that other question I thought was like, you're like, what, do you, what keeps you up at night? I was like, yeah. literally, like primal fear. <laughs> <laughs> like the other night I was sleeping and like I thought I saw something in the hallway and I jumped out of bed to attack it. Yeah. And later I was like, what the fuck what, <laughs> what was I doing? It was like primal caveman yeah, reaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so late night is like that. When I wake up at night, it's like, like is is there you know like is there gas like is there an attacker in the house yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. Wait, what, am I gonna be broke next year like it's like really heavy fear no it's it's a great question I think and I saw um, a writer I, I really like in in a in an interview at um, King's Theater last week and the moderator said what what are you afraid of and I was like I trembled I was like what a great question yeah. I don't think of that always. Here I am asking you. Well, there, there's, there's like fear in many categories, right? Yeah. There's like long, low simmering fear. There is like, you know, so yeah, there, there is like spontaneous gut level fear. Um, but yeah, like, so late night is the gut level fear. Yeah. And the long simmering fear is like, you know, I'm not, I'm not who I thought I was, or I'm not going to achieve what I thought I was capable of. Hmm. And that's, 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 I imagine that one will stay for good. Yeah. Um, is that a driving force going back to like what's pushing the work or sure. pushing us? I yeah. think that's most people. I assume that's most people. We yeah. all have this sense of what we think we're capable of and we usually fall short of it. Yeah. You know? So yeah, there's this always this sense like you could do better than that. Like, like the intensity of your motivation or of your initial thrill with wanting to make something like, couldn't you convey that a little more strongly? You know, that's mm -hmm. the sense I always have. It's like, couldn't this, couldn't this come across closer to how it feels for you? And every now and then it does or seems to, and that's yeah. really that's like really rewarding. But. Yeah. Have you ever felt compelled to be a different type of artist or if you could be a different type of artist, what type of artist would you be? Or maybe not even an artist. If you could change it up. I have so many different options. Yeah. I even want to be different versions of myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, the short answer is definitely, I mean, uh, you know, I don't think it's like deeply troubling to me, but absolutely. You know, I think like, for instance, I remember when I was in grad school, like the sculptors, seem to be much healthier human beings and i still suspect that to be often the case that hmm. this is maybe a cliche but i've seen it again and again like sculptors seem like less neurotic like they're they're in their body in the world making things that are also in the in the world very and really, tactile yeah like mm -hmm. you know painters and people work with imagery often again it's cliche but i've seen a lot of it are like they're caught up in the world of symbolism and appearances which is inherently like one fast track to neuroticism mm -hmm. you know so i like that idea of being a, a real sculptor yeah and i think I also like the idea of being like a really freewheeling conceptualist because that seems like another extreme, but just like a level of disattachment that seems appealing where you're just like, yeah, this show is going to be a bunch of styrofoam. Like, of course, you know, right. like next week will be like, uh, I'm going to like hire someone to sing a song about me. Like right. that seems like it'd be like, if that was satisfying, that seems like a really nice way to move through the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we get back to the Brussels project cause that's coming up. Um, why don't you tell me? I mean, is, it's at a commercial gallery? Yeah. It's yeah. at Super Dakota Gallery in Brussels. Okay. Um, which is, has been around for a few years. Um, they, they show a mix of European and American artists. Um, uh, Chris Dorland is a good friend, shows there. Mm -hmm. They've also shown um, John Houck and Dean Levin, who are, are friends of mine, um, and good artists based in, John's in LA, Dean's in New York. Um, and they show a bunch of other artists, some of whom I'm less familiar with. I'm just rattling off yeah, the yeah, names sure, I know, sure, sure. know personally. Um, but uh, what can I tell you just what the nature of the well, show is? Well, I mean, um, I don't know. So you've got, I mean, I, I sort of mentioned earlier, but you've got these foam core models. And mm -hmm. and so you're preparing for the show. Um, 
I, I mean, I guess maybe a question is like, if if this show comes together, how you've modeled it, mm -hmm. um, um, what what do you hope viewers take from it? That's like the hardest question you've asked me yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll dodge it a little bit by saying that I'm also curating a show downstairs. I'll, and I'll think about your question okay. come back to it. Uh, I'm curating a show downstairs of artists who have been either literal mentors of mine or kind of, in some cases, I didn't even know about their work, but upon discovery of them, because it's been done in collaboration with the gallery, mm -hmm. I realize I'm sort of like tracking in their wake or, you know, or, or picking up pieces of what they generated. Sure. Um, and so that's been cool to make a show simultaneously with that. So it's like people like... Um, John Davola, uh, Jan Groover, who's an American photographer, died not too long ago. Um, Natalie Dupasquire, who's a Memphis, uh, Memphis affiliated artist, or was. Um, uh, Peter Halley, John Davola, uh, not John Davola, rather, Don Dudley, who's also originally an LA based minimalist. So that's been cool to like make a show uh, with this other show in mind. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be two stories, and, and they're explicitly meant to be sort of shown together. Right. Um, I, I love doing stuff like that. You know? mm -hmm. So, so maybe one thing I'm hoping is that there will be some connections made in longer lineages than awesome. people might oh, yeah. expect coming for the work fresh. Mm -hmm. I'm always, you know, I'm really interested in like, like strengthening connective tissue across time yeah. and, and, and across like, uh, you know, uh, mediums. And, and, you know, I think to me, that's like, a, you know, talking about making conceptual models for an idea. Like I like this idea of like a, a series of net, you know, nodes kind of connecting and like yeah. part of what I'm doing is like strengthening those connection points. That's great. You know, even within a piece, but also across yeah, different artists. I think that's a great move. And I, well, I wish there was more of that out there. This, this, this like supportive thing that helps you understand the main thing or being able to switch those two things around at any given moment, like mm -hmm. this helps that and that helps this. I guess it's all context really. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, this, this is maybe my own personal issue, but I, I just always feel like things are so inherently, um, unstable and up for grabs that it really like making your own narrative and not just your own narrative, but getting other people to agree with or join in with you, let's say to not be so fascist, mm -hmm. you know, getting people to join in with you on your narrative is like a really powerful act, you know? And, yeah. I, and it doesn't mean it's like the definitive one, but I think like, to me, like there's there there are there is truth in the world, <laughs> but it's not that not as much as people think, you yeah. know. And and so I like the idea of kind kind of making connections and you know and, and strengthening things in that way. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, are there any dream projects or um, goals that you'd like to realize? I mean, the world's your oyster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure is. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, all, I have a few. Um, I all I made a list too because you sent me that question. Yeah. One one that I'm I'm conscious of, which seems the hardest to do, but was I always would love to have like a compound or a series of buildings that relate to each other. Like, you know, and I think again that that's a growing up seeing my parents kind of like they would make compounds basically. They would like yeah. take over a parcel of land, have like a garden, a work shed, a house, you know, multiple workshops. And I was like, that's a really powerful Is it just thing. your family living on this compound? Or yeah. Okay. And compound's very, you know, um, ambitious way of putting it. But, you know, they'd have an right. a few acres and they would build multiple structures on those acres. Mm -hmm. And it'd be like these networked series of buildings for different purposes. And I always thought that was a really beautiful idea. Yeah. And, it, you know, that notion was reinforced seeing Marfa for the first time. Right. had a really big impact on me. Also, you know, just thinking about, and I'm thinking about why that is. Also, I remember like when I took a trip to China in grad school was really impactful and one of the reasons was I spent a long time with the gardens mm -hmm. right the landscape gardens which are similar these kind of nodes of buildings yeah and they sort of operate as images in places as well as buildings and seeing the glass house you know all that so that that would be one of my biggest would just be to you know have the wherewithal to get a piece of property and like develop multiple yeah 
I like this. All, all these different structures and places feeding each other. Yeah. Um, for like a greater whole of some sort. Yeah. And it just being like sort of like a way of life built into the, the architecture. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, that's definitely one. I have a long list, but that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, this might be a good spot to round it up. I feel like we've, we've covered some ground and really interesting stuff. You feel good? Do we miss anything? Um, the only thing I can think of, which I know you normally do in your podcast, yeah. is you describe the work. But maybe you're going to do that before in the intro. I'll do that. I'll do you that. No pressure. I just wonder if you. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I do this little intro description, well, but um, yeah, I guess, man, I mean, there's, there's, like I said, I have this dad brain issue and. We'll do the intro description. I just, yeah. I just always like, I want the Joseph Hart treatment. I want to <laughs> hear the description, but well, I can be surprised by it in the intro. No, this totally is good. Fun. Maybe like I'll sort of end it with, with what, how I sometimes start these things is, is like sort of going through what the work is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, I guess my attraction to your work was, you know, the aspects of painterliness and composition that I first saw when I saw your work on, on my phone or on a computer, whatever it was. And I liked how you're considering the dimension in which you're working, the rectangle or the square. Or in a lot of cases, it's a non-rectangle shape. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, the way that you're sort of seeing Mark sit in these, these boundaries, I really appreciate in terms of the push and pull. This is all like painterly t- talk. Um, um, and the quick gesture, there's like drawing in a lot of your work for me. And as someone who's biased towards drawing and like looks for that and holds on to that because I can understand it. Um, there's this drawing component in your work that's really nice, particularly with some of the spray lines that are showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then once, I guess, to connect back to the first time I actually saw it in person when I came to your studio years ago, I was like really thrilled to, to be fooled mm-hmm. and to see that this stuff was, was most, mostly taken with a camera and then manipulated and then carved and printed and vacuum formed and all these you know, kind of technical processes. Um, there's a lot of illusion in the work for mm-hmm. me too. And, um, I got lost down that rabbit hole of like how things are made and, um, what's been touched by hand and what isn't. And then whose hand was, is responsible for that mark. And that goes back into like the worker that, that made that spray paint line or, or the footprint that let, 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 left that mark in the yellow line or whatever. And like sort of the history of these things. Yeah. Um, I also really like the sort of assemblage that some of your things take on when you have multiple pieces that rely on each other. I'm thinking of like the ones that like build out a door frame mm-hmm. and I, I mean, maybe those are a couple few years old now, but this sort of like structure that you were making yeah, it, yeah. It usually lived on a wall. Um, and was, it, it, it I, I just sort of like getting lost in these sort of entrances and exits as we were sort of talking about the windows and the doors and things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was like all, you know, like for me, that's, that's where I really get lost and, and find meaning for myself and, you know, the graphic quality. I mean, I feel like you're a master of diagonals and, uh, you know, that's something I think about too, with like how we break down these, these picture planes and things like that. And your work sits well in that world for me as well. So anyways, that's sorry, nice. sorry for this spot. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> now you will praise me. Yeah. Um, I, just, I figured yeah. that seems like a component usually. So that was yeah. I does that, d- does that sit well with you? My, my sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not very interested in correcting anyone's. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's all there. I see it all. Cool. Yeah. Thanks Ethan. Yeah. Thank you.
And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.